Hi, I'm Sarah Bose. Welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast. Today I'll be talking about energy storage and uh, plenty of that based around what's happening with our need for the shift to more storage as we transition to net zero. But before I get onto that, obviously we've got to look at where we are in terms of the energy price cap. Now, if you've been anywhere around this planet, uh, you've been seeing what's going on and it's incredible really how the price cap has hit huge levels. There are some real serious uh, concerns from charities, from institutions. There's a story today about schools, where schools are saying that they really can't even afford to keep the heating on and may ask kids to wear jumpers to school. Now, the facts are very simple. From the 1st of October, cap will rise by a whopping 80% to over three and a half grand, basically. Now that's huge. I'll just give you my example. So my energy bills at present are about kind of between sort of 95 to 100 pound a month. They're going to double easily. And I, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, how am I going to cope with that? And luckily, you know, we're more, far more fortunate than a lot of people. I think we've reached a stage where the government has going to have to step in. And I really think we're facing a crisis similar to 2008 financial crisis because the real truth of this is if energy bills continue to spiral up the way people are predicting and I'm not I don't believe the seven eight ten thousand pounds but I know in the short term it will be it will be several thousand pounds a year we're going to be paying all of us that goes on to all of us so that goes on to us as consumers but it also goes on to all the manufacturers the retailers the producers so you've got a vicious cycle where the cost of buying things with inflation already or around about the 10 11 percent mark is going to be even higher because the energy costs are going to have to be passed on to us who are also fighting our own energy costs so what is the solution well obviously there are lots of longer term solutions and storage the subject of this podcast will be one of them but in the short term i do believe that the government may have to intervene now and we'll know uh, within the next few days who the leader of this country will be whether it's uh, rishi or, or or liz and you know whether we will have a new package we'll have to of support and my view is that i think the government will have to come in and set up some form of financial support across the board like they did with furlough and just like coping with the pandemic in the short term we will need help because i cannot see us sustaining and letting the market do its place i also say you know i think there's quite a bit of valid criticism often but i also said this is the folly of the price cap which i thought was a terrible idea right at the beginning and if you go way back now what we've got is a cycle of despair that was started by trying to break up the big six as they were saying they had too much of the share of the market and that was all very good but in the end we went through all the pain of all those supply collapses lots of people who were very unscrupulous making lots of money who've now left the sector all of those customers then picked up by eventually pretty much the big five or six whatever you want to call it you now have obviously have octopus as a player as well and where are we left with we're left with a situation where 
we're facing huge bills because we're still tied down to the one thing we didn't do enough of, which is get ourselves away from the international gas markets. So I think in the short term, this winter needs political intervention and we will need it soon because I cannot see us coping. Uh, I can't see businesses coping. I certainly can't see many individuals coping with the level of increases because without that energy, nothing else works. And I've always said it's the fundamental part of our society. So let's see what happens. Plenty of news on Future Net Zero covering this. Plenty of stories looking at all the different angles and lots of advice as well. So do uh, log on there. Now, on to this week's podcast. He's on his way out, but Boris has a dream. Now, I don't know whether it's Rishi or Liz, but one of them will have to see if that dream comes true about turning the UK into the Saudi Arabia of wind. He wanted this vision of mass expansion of wind, more offshore, a bit more onshore. But of course, wind and solar and all the renewable energies that we've got right now that we generate like that. Hydro a little bit, but they, they need to be stored. You need to have a way of using this energy when you need it. Trouble is right now, we have a lot of energy at times that we can't use because it's really windy and we've got all that stuff, but we've got excess power. Or it's really sunny, right? We're having this very hot spell now, but a lot of that energy will be wasted. So what are we going to do about solving this? As we shift to net zero, one of the biggest issues will be how we store energy so that when we've got it cleanly, we can use it at a later date. What do we do? Is storage even a term that we should be using? Are there various technologies out there? Well, today we're going to explore one of them. In fact, for me, it's a little bit of a kind of uh, trip down memory lane because nearly a decade ago, I went down to film a place in Slough. In fact, Slough, famous for various things. There was a place down there called Highview Power Station that had a little uh, frozen air technology power station, which... You can check out on Energy Live News, the film is still there. And it was an idea about kind of using air, cooling it down to store it. Well, things have moved on. That company's moved on. We've all moved on. And today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the CEO of Highview Power, Rupert Pierce. Rupert, hello. Hi, Samit. How are you? Yeah, very good. What I'd like to do is just go through, before we talk, talk about the main issue about kind of storage and what it is, um, just can you explain to the listeners what Highview is? And I, I probably balls it up by saying it's kind of frozen air, but it made a good film for us. What, what, are, you, what are you involved in? Well, that's good enough, actually, because it's best to keep the technology as simple as possible. But we do two things. We store energy and shift energy in, in time and in place to where, where it's needed, when it's needed. And we provide green stability services alongside that. And we do that through something called a liquid air energy system. And very simply, we take air in and we compress it and we freeze it using electricity from excess renewables. And uh, that turns the air into liquid air, pregnant with energy. And we store it in big cryo tanks for the time we need to use it. And then we simply push that air out of the tank, allow it to warm up, compress it again, and heat it up to 450 centigrade, and then drive that now gas through a turbine to create energy again. So it's electricity in, chill, create liquid air, warm it up, 
drive a turbine electricity out. And that whole system allows us at grid scale to take excess renewable generation like offshore wind and store it and deliver it into an environment where it can be used. I remember seeing, I think it was a little test sort of setup you had there, which you told, you've just told me before we came on air that has, has now closed. But I think what it did, and, and again, you can correct me, was it, it used some excess heat from a nearby factory and used some of that energy. And it was putting a, a sort of, the, the, I saw the big cryogenic stuff using liquid nitrogen, which was fantastic to film, it really was. So that was one of the things I remember the previous CEO mentioned to me was, is, was citing it there. Cause that was like a, a kind of giant test experiment, wasn't it that plant? Yeah, it was. We, you know, we, we ran a test facility at subgrid scale for four years. Then we ran at grid scale for two years, both under very, very generous grants from the British government, from Bayes. And they allowed us to mature the technology so we could get to you know, full grid scale. And so we could get our round trip efficiency up so that we lose as little possibility of the energy coming in, in the process of, of storing it and getting it out the other side. And, and what it's allowed us to do is today to be ready to start to deliver, to build our very first full grid scale, fully commercial plant, which we're looking to break ground on this autumn and deliver into, into operations by the end of 2024. When we look at where we are right now, you can't deny the shift that's happened, even in the decade that, you know, since I, I went to that, that plant you had. Amazing things have happened in terms of how the government, the industry, public, have now looked at where we are with energy, certainly much more than was the case when you guys probably got the funding to, to build your first sort of test plant. When you look at it right now for the UK, and let's talk about the UK, how do you think we're doing when it comes to our kind of renewable power? Well, I think we're actually doing really, really well because we're more invested in the energy transition than almost any other country in the world. I mean, to be through 40% renewable generation today in terms of the percentage of generation into the yeah. electricity grid to have 11 gigawatts of wind contributing every day to our usage is a fantastic achievement but of course with that impetus comes you know enormous structural issues that are beginning to emerge and i think the the takeaway is it takes more than building wind farms to generate an energy transition we're beginning to realize that the intermittency of renewables needs to be addressed. We need to harness yeah. mm -hmm. excess wind and we need to be able to deal for situations where there is no wind. We're also beginning to realize that the transmission network was built for a different purpose and needs addressing. And yeah. we're also beginning to realize that a network that is dependent upon renewable energy for substantially all of its generation is also a very unstable thing, particularly when the stability providers have all been decommissioned. So there's a whole heap of big, knotty structural problems that need to be solved in order to allow this energy transition to take place successfully. I suppose the thing is, you know, you, you've got to have a vision, right? And you've got to thank previous governments as well, you know, going way back to probably the Blair government, really, when it all started with the Stern report, and then certainly under the the coalition what's gone on we have taken steps <clears throat> you know we have taken that we you know when Theresa May's last sort of act was to sign in the commitment to net zero these are all things we should probably be quite proud of but 
as you say, they've opened up a different plethora of problems. You, you can't just keep building wind farms, can you? You obviously can. There's a degree to which a lot of excess renewables can be just let go to waste. But in an environment in which renewable energy is now the cheapest and most sovereign form of energy there is, you know, I think it's incumbent on us to capture as much of that as possible and harness it for the benefit of consumers. And I think naturally it's also vital that we enable the the other side of the equation, which is the retirement of the fossil fuel power stations, which at the moment can't be retired because they're providing security when the wind doesn't blow. Yeah. And they're also providing stability services that wind farms can't replicate. So unless we fill those two, deal with those two problems, we can't engage in the energy transition. And even then, I think the man on the street would say, let's not let all of this wind go to waste. I mean, today, this year, we will waste over three terawatt hours of offshore wind because the demand isn't there to take it when the wind blows. That's enough energy to power a major UK city for a year. And that figure will grow by 10 times before the end of the decade. And that's just an, it's just an unacceptable waste of cheap green energy. So we've got to find solutions to these problems. Is this really a political problem in, in the sense that actually perhaps government was surprised, you know, as I say, when, when these things were first put in line, because it takes so long from, you know, legislation, planning, etc., that perhaps they were surprised at the speed at which things have happened and the technology change. And we'll talk about the effects of Ukraine in a minute, but in essence, you're right. We've got a lot more cheaper power than we ever had. It's cleaner, greener, all of that but perhaps the government just didn't anticipate the generation would be this successful. And so the storage issue has not been given the same amount of credence as the generation issue. Well, I think it's political in the sense that these trends have been worsened by the Ukraine crisis, the run-up in gas prices, which now looks sustained, the search for sovereignty of energy supply. These are things that weren't on the front burner no. uh, a few years ago. I think it's also, as you say, a, a knock-on effect of, of the tremendous success the British government has had in, in fostering a renewables sector. And that's bringing problems, new problems that have to be fixed with it. And you know, it's a good thing to have. Uh, without all those offshore wind farms, we wouldn't have these problems. So, But now we've got to fix them. I was at COP, and I don't know if you were there last year, but <clears throat> there was a pavilion all about <clears throat> Britain and what it was doing. And it was a really, you know, it's good. It was, it was good to see. And it really did play the card of, of us being a leader. And I remember watching actually now it's, um, we're having this conversation and it was all about kind of nice pictures of wind turbines and solar farms and all that. And then there was batteries, right? Big stuff about batteries and listeners of the podcast will know that we've talked about battery tech a lot. And it seems as if that has been put forward as kind of that's the thing we need. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll build the wind turbines, we'll build the solar panels, and then what we'll do is we'll store the energy in batteries so we can use it. But you don't think that's right. Is that correct? Yeah, for, for several reasons. I mean, fundamentally, batteries can't store energy for long enough to solve this problem structurally. You know, batteries are at their absolute best when it comes to fast frequency response services short-term arbitrage services that help stabilize the network. They're fundamentally not a long-term storage medium. But what the grid needs is services that they can put in place that can work for multiple days in terms of hoovering up excess wind, mm -hmm. and that can then provide multi-day, even seasonal storage capabilities to make sure that the, 
the energy is stored and delivered where and when it's needed over longer periods of time. In other words, structural solutions, not short-term arbitrage solutions. In a way, you're talking about what we do with gas, which is why we, you know, we use gas so much, because you can stick it, uh, burn it when you need it, and just store it for ages, and it sits there. You don't think the battery technology, the massive investment in things like these gigafactories and all that, you don't think that's going to give us the, the, the solution when it comes to this ability to store the power from renewable sources? Yeah, no, I don't, because I don't think they scale at the right cost to do that. The only way you can you can store in a battery for long periods of time is by adding more, adding more and more batteries and doing yeah. it sort of in a linear way. Yeah, what like you need crazy chain sort of way, yeah. You caught it well by saying, you know, what we do today is we have gas peakers that provide that flexible response that's needed for a, a grid that's increasingly needed to be agile and dynamic in solving problems. And we need technology that that matches that but is green. So you need long duration energy storage that can meet those challenges um, over long periods of time, essentially green peakers. And that's, you know, ironically what our technology at Highview Power does. But there is another as, side as to it, this. As if by magic, Rupert. <laughs> well, you know, it's, you know, we've been obviously trying to develop this technology for many, many years, but the market has now come to us. What makes our immediate future so exciting is that it's now well recognized you know look at the national grid ESO's future energy scenarios document this year yes yeah it, it's talking about 60 gigawatt requirements for flexible generation and storage look at the Bayes report that came out recently on long duration energy storage they lay out a similar requirement but in their case they, they understand that it's not just about storage it's also about the delivery of green stability services like inertia and reactive power, which is another thing that batteries can't do. So that the UK grid is crying out for a technology that can deliver highly flexible storage shifting and green stability services. And so, you know, we're really pumped that we can do those three things anywhere in the grid because we're location agnostic. So think of us as pumped hydro in a box. So we can take those kind of capabilities and go to the most stressed points of the grid, the nodes or sub-nodes that are suffering from massive instability or have huge issues about the amount of wind landing on shore and needing to go somewhere. We can address these issues in a very surgical way. I'll, I'll explore a bit more about your, your technology and the solution as such, but apart from what you're offering, what else, if you don't think batteries are right, what else do you see we could be looking at as a country? To, to help us with this conundrum of storing renewable power when, when we need to have it squirreled away? There, there are two ways you, you deal with excess wind. One is you provide, well, there's one way, you provide more demand. And that demand could either be storage or it could be new incremental demand. And, you know, I, I'm very happy for, for the government to, to push a hydrogen as a new demand vector yeah. for yeah. excess wind. And you'll see woven through their plans and through National Grid ESO's plans, an assumption that there's going to be an enormous amount of hydrogen manufacture sitting alongside where the, the excess wind is going to be landed, providing a natural uh, offtake of that, of that very, very cheap energy. That's the first thing. Beyond that, and it's still believed there'll be an enormous amount of excess demand, even over and above uh, a huge UK hydrogen uh, industry, then it's, it is about storage. And you're talking about three or four technologies that will be 
working together to solve this enormous problem. And there's more than enough uh, constraint for all of them. The first is pumped hydro, which is an extremely well mature yeah, technology. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's been used for years, hasn't it? Decades. And, it, and, it really and it's, incredibly, it's yeah. incredibly efficient and effective, but it's lo highly location specific. Yeah, not off. <laughs> you can't move it too easily. <laughs> exactly. Um, then you've got compressed air, which is essentially pumped hydro, but using caverns instead of reservoirs. And it too, I think, is will become, it's, it's a very young technology. It's not as mature as our technology, but it will up and arrive, but it too will be very location specific, but it will add to the mix. Then you've got our technology, liquid air, which is has now been matured, is ready for prime time. And, and the thing it adds into the into the mix is it's location agnostic. You can put it, you can build it anywhere. Uh, and that will be highly complementary to pumped hydro and compressed air. And then beyond that, you're really looking at technologies that haven't been invented yet. Perhaps new battery technologies, perhaps inertial storage, which is very, very unproven. But the other form of storage we shouldn't forget in the mix thinking laterally is consumer storage. And in that, mm. when you're talking about grid scale consumer storage, we're talking about vehicle to grid. And it's no accident that uh, National Grid ESO has over 20 gigawatts of vehicle to grid flexible generation in its plans for the 2040s, 2050s. So they clearly believe that all of our electric vehicles sitting in our driveway at home will become a big generation medium. I think it's estimated there'll be enough electric vehicles on the road by the end of this decade to power the equivalent of a, of a single nuclear power station. So if we can harness that through digitalization and automation, it could become a big contributor to um, generation flexibility. Let's talk about frozen air, um, liquid air, as you call it, whatever. But who else has been doing it? Is this something that, you know, we're just doing particularly well ourselves? Is it being done in other parts of the world? Where is this sort of industry? Because I'd be amazed. I'd be, I'd be delighted if you're the only people doing it on the planet, but I assume other people are doing it elsewhere in other nations. No, we're the only people who do it on the planet today. And, you know, but let's, let's be clear, this has been a 15-year process of taking a concept from an academic bench all the way through to proof of concept to something that's really going to fly. And on the back of that, we've got a blizzard of patents that have protected our technology and, and the whole process, the whole system. So it is unique to us. Others you know, certainly want a license from us. We're working with one license called Sumitomo Heavy Industries, uh, who are a strategic partner of ours and who will be deploying this technology um, in some jurisdictions, most notably uh, Southeast Asia. But yeah, this is um, unique to, to high view power. So we're very, very proud about that. It turns out liquid air is an incredibly efficient medium for storage in terms of energy density. And, but it has taken 15 years to perfect this technology to get it to a level of round trip efficiency and cost of storage that is really, really competitive uh, to any other storage medium. Those of, who are listening to this podcast, they vary. A lot of them are business people. A lot of them are public sector. A lot of them are just lay people who just like the net zero thing. How will any of this affect anyone's future? Because I suppose the thing that we're looking at is if we can have better ways of storing energy, hopefully, number one, that makes things better environmentally because you're not wasting stuff. But number two, which is so important right now, will make a difference in cost, will make a difference in, in the financial stress that the whole energy sector is facing right now. 
Well, I think, you, I think you've got three really big vectors of change from bringing storage, green storage at least, into the UK economy. The first is you're going to reduce costs massively for the consumer. And renewable energy is the cheapest form of energy around. So there's that benefit. But also you're addressing massive transmission issues and solving them, which is avoiding spending billions on, on transmission upgrades. And, you know, you've seen the latest Bayes report that says that bringing long-duration energy storage into the UK economy will, will deliver tens of billions of pounds worth of benefits a year. And that translates straight into the pockets of consumers, whether they're you know, homeowners or whether it's industry. So that's a huge cost and efficiency benefit from that perspective. The second piece, of course, is green. We take tens of millions of tons out of the UK, of carbon out of the UK economy both from simply by replacing dirty fossil fuel generation with green generation and at the moment we're stuck we have all of this wind we're not able to use it and we're stuck continuing to use gas largely for stability services and uh, to deal with situation when the wind doesn't blow that all changes uh, when we have storage and flexibility we get rid of the gas finally we liberate the green energy and we have a net zero grid. And the final issue I would, I would say is we have a, uh, we will a, we have a more sovereign and more resilient network. Without storage, we will be dependent on others for our energy security through interconnectors and through gas. That is not acceptable, I think, given all we've learned in recent weeks. But we also have a very unstable network because all of the fossil fuel power stations that provide 80% of the stability services today, they'll all be gone by the end of the decade. And unless we replace them, you know, the reactive power, the inertia, the short circuit level, the black start capabilities, they need to come from somewhere in order for that energy to actually be got in a secure, resilient way to where, it need, where the user is. So again, if we invest in these capabilities in the 21st century, we'll have a green highly efficient, highly resilient, low cost energy network, which will be the best in the world. And you know, that's what we need to lean into. You don't know who's gonna be in power, right? But uh, clearly I doubt either Rishi or, or Liz, they're friends of ours, aren't they now? For everyone, so we can call them by their first names. <laughs> I doubt, I'd be, I'd be amazed. I mean, although Liz Truss has mentioned some stuff about sort of cutting back on, green levies, but I can't see them reversing the direction on net zero. But we're facing a very tough time and the government is facing a very tough time. All of this will require investment. You've said it yourself, you were very lucky to get the grant money from Bayes that allowed you to build this brilliant technology. But that might not be around for the next company that's kind of fledgling, trying to think this stuff up now. And it might not be around if there's political shift to say, let's cut back on green subsidies, let's take that out of the bill. So if we're looking at this in, in, in your view, and it's not easy, and you know, we can always slag off politicians, but these are real kind of balancing questions they have to do, but they might be tempted to say, let's do less on this because let's just deal with the problem we've got now, which is bring the cost of living now. What, where would you say, how would you argue with whoever's in charge in the future to say, look, we've got to, to guarantee the money into this form of green storage. There are many ways to answer that. I mean, hopefully the vision I've just laid out of a lower cost, highly resilient, carbon-free energy network through the, through the 
the power of long duration energy storage is is in itself an incredibly valuable contributor to the to, to UK economic growth. Oh no, I, I bet they'd say yes to that, Ruben. They'd say, "What well, we can do for prices today?" Do you know what I mean? If I oh, take the money out the green bit levy, then I can save people. This is the way people think, don't they? Particularly, of course. of course. And you always have to balance the long term against the short term. And I, I recognise what you're saying about the short term. But what you're delivering are the keys to higher productivity in the UK economy and a growth economy. And those are things that it's worth government investing in for the longer term. So short term and longer term will have to compete, of course. But we already have a UK energy system that has many market mechanisms that are perfectly adaptable for long duration energy storage. Already, pumped hydro, for example, is paid to store excess wind. We will participate in that ourselves when we come into the market. Already, we have mechanisms to deliver new generation capacity when there isn't enough around. So that's a good thing as well. And already we have a three billion pound a year market for stability services in which we participate as the incumbents go. So there's more than enough mechanisms today to encourage investment at risk by people like us. I think the one piece that's missing is what I would call security of supply or strategic reserve. Um, There isn't a mechanism to pay people to keep their energy stored and uh, wait for seasonal crises, you know, long windless winter days, for example, which can sometimes last for weeks. There may may be the need for new selective market mechanisms, which need to be looked at. But equally, if you treat, if you create a carbon trading mechanism for long duration energy storage, recognizing the carbon benefits that we bring, you can actually get carbon consumers to to pay for investment in long duration energy storage. So with a bit of creativity, you can actually create value Uh, to help people invest in this sector. But let's not forget equally that globally we're talking about a three to four trillion dollar market in long duration energy storage that's up and emerging and where Britain leads in terms of energy transition in electricity, we can actually create global British champions that can go out and take what they've learned from the UK and exploit that around the world, be leading companies in these emerging sectors around the world. And that's also something I think the British government is extremely excited by. Before we go, uh, and that, I, I think that's great stuff you talk about, there's also a role for business, isn't there? Right? So we could we can always sit there and blame politicians, but you know, you've got to get off your arse, basically. You've got to invest, you've got to see these technologies. And you as a company that's trying to do things out there, you have to fundraise and, and get money from that. Do you see more openness in the financial markets for things like you're doing, for things like new technologies around this? Because unless people are willing to invest in these companies, these new companies, these new greener forms, you can't just rely on the state to give handouts. Unless we go back to a completely nationalized system, which some unions want right now. But in the real world at present, that's the real thing. Do you know the money men see the value in this stuff? Well, unequivocally, the answer is yes. We're seeing infrastructure funds looking to get in earlier and take more risk. We're looking for PE funds who are looking at infrastructure as a growth opportunity rather than just a pure low low return infrastructure opportunity. Uh, And we're seeing many impact funds being created with uh, looking to provide funds into high impact solutions for the energy transition. So 
we have a very benign investment climate at the moment for opportunities like this. So our plans today are to raise funds to go out and build 20 power stations, green power stations around the UK for more than 10 billion pounds of investment over the next decade. And we're going to be building that at merchant risk. In other words, we're not going to be asking for handouts or subsidies. We're not going to be asking for new market mechanisms to you know, lower the, the risk of investment because we believe that the market is there. We believe the structural need for our services is there and, is, and that if we build it, there will be exceptional returns available for people who are, uh, are willing to do that. And, and, and I have to say that message is getting a lot of traction with investors. Now that, and that's great news. So to conclude, you know, the stuff that you guys are doing, uh, as you say, other things, are you hopeful that we can see, and let's be honest, these things do take time. We're, we're shifting, you know, 200 years worth of technology in a very short term. There's going to be bumps along the road. But are you hopeful that within a decade, all of us will just think, okay, energy storage is, is a lot easier to do. We'll be doing it ourselves, perhaps, as you say, with EVs, and it'll become something that means that we do, hopefully, not waste our precious resources. Yeah, I think there's irresistible momentum to doing that now. It's a function of a number of public bodies coming together to deal with this clear and present problem we've got, having invested massively in renewable generation. The next shoe to fall is to deal with intermittency, deal with security, deal with stability, deal with transmission issues. So these problems absolutely have to get fixed, and I believe they will. Highview Power's ambition is by 2030 to have more than 45 gigawatt hours of long-duration energy storage dotted around the UK. That in itself will be a material contributor to solving this problem for the UK. Others will come in alongside us like pumped hydro. And I think you know by the time we get through 2030, we will be well on the way having world-leading solutions in this area. It's a good positive note to end in. Rupert, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us, CEO of Highview Power, and you know, British success story. I wish you all the best with everything. Many thanks. I think that's a brilliant idea there, and I think what they're doing at Highview, what Rupert and his team are doing, is really kind of the fundamentals of our shift. You know, I started this podcast talking about the cost and the way we're going to have to have some support well, this will be the long-term solution for us, is to invest in storage. Because as we transition much more, we've got to have the right way of storing the right energy to release at the right time. A couple of quick points before we go. You may have seen that uh, Boris is due to make a statement, his final as Prime Minister. Um, at the time of recording, he hasn't done it yet, but uh, we will know very soon about his commitment to nuclear and his bold plans for building one nuclear power station per year. Let's see what comes out of that. Plenty more on what will be the implications of the price cap. And of course, we have now launched uh, our campaign for the Big Zero Show for 2023. So check us out on social media, get involved. We'd like you all to subscribe to us. So get your friends listening in. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and I'll catch you next week. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to Net Zero, 
and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.